Hey, it's the Weather Channel Podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari, a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. And today we're going to talk about something that's going to become pretty important in the next couple of months, maybe. I mean, it's always important, but you never know how bad hurricane season is going to be. And we're starting to get at least closer to the peak of hurricane season, which is generally September. And we've had some pretty big hurricanes before in August, although things are not looking that bad in the Atlantic right now. Um, anyway, uh, I want to talk hurricane prep a little bit with a good friend of mine and another meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. Jonathan Bellis. And Jonathan is a, a really strong tropical meteorologist. It's kind of weird. Like, meteorologists each have their kind of realm of meteorology that they like better. I would say that would be like tropical for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely uh, tropical. And I'm, um, I came in here just in pure contrast, uh, pretty much blind in terms of winter weather. And I've learned a lot since I've been here. Tropical is definitely a specialty of mine. That That is uh, one thing that I've learned since working at the Weather Channel is there are many facets of meteorology that, you know, I wasn't super strong in. It's like I, I'm kind of like a severe weather specialist. I worked in Huntsville, Alabama. You know, I've covered a lot of tornadoes and that's my... That's my gig. I know that stuff. But, you know, if there's a typhoon, I remember like 2014 when I was uh, just starting working here. There were so many times when I would walk across the room and I would ask one of the more experienced Mets. So what what generally happens in Taiwan when a typhoon hits? Because I've like I've never covered one of these before. And, you know, over time, you just kind of accumulate a lot of knowledge and I've got a lot more to learn. Anyway, hurricane prep. Um, First, let's talk about this year's hurricane season. So we started off with uh, like an above average forecast for the Atlantic hurricane season, and now it's come down a little bit, and now we're thinking it's going to be a below average. Why do we do those stupid forecasts anyway? I really just I can't stand them. I think they're completely pointless. Would you agree or not? Uh, I agree to a point. Um, I think that there is a certain presence about those forecasts when they come out. It gives everyone just a lukewarm idea of how the season may or may not go. Um, Uh, Obviously, some forecasts are better than others, um, but I think that they are good enough that we can say, here's what we expect. It's kind of like forecasting a 50% chance of rain um, for a given location. Give somebody an idea that it could rain, it could storm, you may get a hurricane this year. Um, But I think if we didn't do them, there'd be less awareness. So I think the awareness of those forecasts and what they are forecasting makes some sense too. Yeah, I was talking to Phil Klotzbach about this a little while ago, and I was like, what's the point of these forecasts? Why do you guys put them out? He's like, you know, I mean, when you think about it, if you have a forecast for an above average season, that does inherently increase the probability that you would have a landfalling hurricane. Obviously, you'd have a better chance of having a landfalling hurricane in a season where you're going to have 20 hurricanes than a season that you're going to have five. You know what I mean? So... You know, obviously, you can have years where there are only like two or three hurricanes, and only and and one of them hits land, and you could have a season where you have twenty hurricanes and none of them hit land. But anyway, we could we could do a whole other podcast on this stuff. But um, it's time to get ready for hurricane season. So, what is the biggest? What's the biggest killer in hurricanes? It's it's the water. Um, it's the inland flooding and the storm surge near the coast. Thankfully, last year, as far as I know, there were no storm surge deaths last year, but that's that's a rarity, even though we had three massive major hurricanes last year. Uh, we got very lucky that there weren't storm surge deaths last year. Uh, flooding, on the other hand, as we know, with Harvey was a much bigger deal. That really is crazy that we had uh, three Category 4 landfalling hurricanes and nobody died from storm surge. I mean, that has to be just something that's completely unheard of, right? 
Well, it's it's a change in how we talk about the hazards. Um, just in the last couple of years, we have storm surge watches and warnings, which uh, I think brings, uh, again, more awareness to that threat that we didn't have in years past. Uh, we also had one other thing that we had last year is we had, in some cases, weeks of warning on some of these storms. We knew that Maria and Irma were coming weeks in advance. And we knew that Harvey was out there. We didn't know exactly it was going to become a Category 4 until a couple days in advance. But we knew it was coming across the Caribbean um, and could become a threat to Mexico or Texas at some point. So I think that helped out a lot with that particular threat. This this is kind of the one nice thing about hurricanes is that we can forecast them pretty well compared to other stuff. You know, like a tornado, the max lead time you're going to get with that is like 20 or 30 minutes in a really good situation. Um with these hurricanes, you know, they we've got a general idea that there's going to be a threat of a hurricane possibly affecting some general area of land like well in advance. I mean, you're talking close to a week, you know, in some cases. Well, I mean, right now we have the perfect case out there with Hawaii uh, with Hector. We've known that system was coming for a week, uh, 10 days now in some form, and we were able to ratchet down the forecast enough to... Um, that we can say that there's a chance of tropical storm force winds uh, at some point today on the Big Island, but we know a, a few days back or more that we weren't looking at a direct landfall. And that's one huge point with these storms too, is that there is a humongous difference between a direct landfall and even if the center of the storm is like 50 or 100 miles off the shore. And, um, you know, uh, I think I remember there was, was it Irma? that that made a big difference? Yes. Irma was huge. Uh, 10 miles east or west would have made a huge difference for one of the coasts. Although it was a very bad situation overall, it it could have been a whole lot worse for either the east coast or the west coast had the track shifted just a little bit. So explain those situations. How could it have been a lot worse? Well, uh, if we had shifted west, um, we would have been uh, in a damn near worst case scenario in terms of storm surge for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is one of the most storm surge prone uh, areas in the country, if not the world. I didn't know that. Um, It is. Yeah. Um, uh, Had we been just a little bit farther west, um, we would have been piling up feet of water into Tampa Bay. uh, And that's a very highly populated area. um, Very storm surge prone area because it's a, there's one way in, one way out kind of thing going on there. And it would have been all pushing water up into metropolitan Tampa and, and St. Petersburg. Let's let's explain um, what storm surge is. Okay, so the way, sure. I, the way I always explain this on the air is um, it's basically like the wind is pushing the water up onto land. So basically parts of the coast just become part of the ocean. Is that a fair way to explain it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just breaking it down to the simplest way. And this is what I've done with kids in the past at certain hurricane talks I've talked to. Um, you get a bowl of water and you blow into the bowl of water and water is going to go up against the edge, the opposite edge of that bowl. And that's storm surge um, at its simplest. Uh, and we, we throw a lot of words around, um, but storm surge at its core is putting water where it shouldn't be. What what can you do to prepare for storm surge? Is there anything more than just knowing your evacuation zone and heeding the warnings when they come in? Or, you know, 
this whole evacuation well, zone thing, how, how long has that been in effect? And is, is it pretty well covered for all the areas that are uh, susceptible to storm surge in the U.S. or no? In, in some spots, that's been uh, that storm surge plan has been in place for decades. Um, in some spots, it's a little bit newer, but uh, pretty much everywhere in the U.S. has a uh, storm surge plan. Um, that, and that's one thing you should do now if you're listening now. You should know your storm surge uh, evacuation zone. Uh, go onto that electric bill or utility bill. Um, they're all listed on there. Um, in some spots, uh, you can even go to the coast and there you'll see the little uh, bar that's 10 to 30 feet high, uh, and you'll it'll see you'll see how far that location will be underwater. Um, I know that there's some spots in Florida that have been fighting to get those poles put in place. 30 feet. Can you imagine that? I mean, that is just. Yeah. I mean, like 30 feet of 30 feet in the vertical of parts of the coastline can just become well, the ocean. Put it into perspective here. Uh, I used to do talks at uh, community college here in St. Petersburg. And one of the buildings uh, next to the quad that I used to give those talks at is exactly three stories high. Um, and of course, that location wasn't exactly at sea level, but we it gives you an idea. Um, if storm surge came in, worst case scenario, uh, 30 feet high, that building would be pretty much underwater. Um, and everyone always gave me a big old gasp. Oh, my gosh. I mean, so storm surge is the thing that killed the most people in Katrina, correct? Uh, I, I think it still depends on who you talk to. <laughs> okay. Um, but I heard there was 30 feet in parts of Mississippi, like yeah, up to 30. Yes. Jeez. Have you heard correct. of a number bigger than that in a storm? Um, there have been a couple of storms that have crashed into Cuba. There's uh, some some records down there that are a bit higher. But the thing that storm surge kind of gets lost in is that almost always there will be waves on top of that storm surge. So the water will come up 30 feet, but then you get those waves crashing in still, just like if you were at the beach, a couple of yeah, feet high. Yeah, you're part of the ocean. But in a, in a hurricane, um, those waves can be upwards of 50 feet high on top of that storm surge that does just as much damage with just as much force. Oh, my gosh. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, in Cuba, I know that there's one case um, about a decade ago where there was uh, about 20 foot of storm surge and add on another 50 feet of waves that crashed up over some buildings, knock th- those buildings down. Wow. So keep that, keep the waves in, in mind uh, when talking about water coming in as well. All right. So let's get back to prep. Um, you know, say if you live in a place like Charleston, South Carolina, or I don't know, uh, Tampa, Florida, or just really any coastal spot that is susceptible to being hit by a hurricane. What are you doing in the months leading up to hurricane season? What can you actually do? Because really and truly, I mean, you know how it is. You'll you'll watch like a local news sure. or something, and it's you know they're like, all right, hurricane prep time. You need to do this, and half of it's kind of like, okay, this kind of seems like BS. Like, what do you really need to you- actually do? Well, first you need to know your zone. I'll always hammer that away. The second thing you need to do is know a couple of routes out of your area, a couple of hurricane evacuation routes. The first one should be to a friend that might be on slightly higher ground. Um, We try to talk about moving people hundreds of miles, and a lot of times that's not necessary. Uh, Sometimes it's just a 10-feet rise in elevation, and sometimes that's just a half mile up the road. And that keeps that lets the people that actually need to get away from the coast um out uh not clogging the roadways and so to so to speak i never thought uh, of that this, 
That is that's yeah. actually something that I've never heard. So this is the kind of stuff um, I'm talking the, about. Where uh, the storm surge, you're trying to run away from the water and then hide from the wind. Um, a lot of times you don't have to go all that far to get away from the from the water. Um, the second thing um, is find the next city inland and look for hotels or uh, neighbors, uh, friends that you can find in that next city over in case you're expecting uh, a slight brush or whatnot, just far enough inland that you can get away from the most damaging stuff. This is brilliant stuff. Go ahead. um, The third plan you should have is something like Irma, where you get a storm that'll come up through uh, hundreds of miles of real estate. It went from South Florida all the way through North Florida and up through the Southeast. And a lot of people took this in last year um, where they left Miami, decided they were going to go to Tampa, see see how things went. Well, it became clear that it, the storm was also going to affect Tampa. They moved to uh, here to Atlanta or Pensacola, just far enough away out of the path of the storm. We had a lot of them here in Atlanta. Clear. Oh yeah, we did. <laughs> there were Florida license was... plates all over the place. <laughs> yeah. That that I would keep in the back of your pocket, that third plan um, in, in the worst case scenario where you just don't know exactly where that storm is going to be going across a certain area. And I think Florida is a special case to pull that out. But there's other places like the Delmarva where there's water all over the place or Long Island again water all over the place right? Um, to get inland uh, away from the bays and the inlets. Okay, so let's review that. Number one, know your evacuation zone. Number two, find a friend that lives in higher ground that's in town. Number three, find a friend that's in the next town inland or a town inland. And that was that was about it, right? I mean, that's as far as like... And then the, the last case scenario should be some very inland location. Um we usually talk about that being the vacation plan where you go far enough out of the way where you're not going to be affected by the hurricane whatsoever. Um, but, uh, it, you're keeping yourself safe at the same time. Okay. So that's planning in advance. And, you know, a lot of that is for storm surge, right? And wind, I would imagine. You should be evacuating for, you should be evacuating for storm surge, not for the category of the hurricane. Okay. Okay. That's right, and we could probably do another podcast on hurricane categories. I remember you have some pretty strong thoughts on that, but we'll save that one because I, I want to use you for a couple of different podcasts. We don't, <laughs> don't want to waste <laughs> sure. it all on this one. Um, all right, so that is for storm surge. What about um, what about wind and flooding and that kind of stuff? Are there ways to prepare? Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the the inland flooding portion. That's the next deadliest like port, the part of a hurricane. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Harvey and Harvey was a different case. It's not too likely uh, that we'll see another storm just sit in one spot for a week and rain itself out. That was but very that unique. doesn't lessen the effect that um, there are a lot of flood-prone areas in this country along the coast that are 30, 40, 50 miles inland that may not get the surge but still will be uh, very flood-prone um, when a hurricane comes along. And unfortunately, in this country, we've allowed people to build in flood zones. Um, so that's going to be an increasing risk as people build up across the country. Um, so what can you do uh, with uh, that sort of situation? You're inland 30, 40, 50 miles, uh, but still expecting a lot of rain. Uh, sandbags are going to be your first friend. Uh, a, a lot of states nowadays, a lot of municipalities as well, are providing free sandbags 
Um, and if we have a lot of notice, you can get a lot of sandbags. Most places will limit you to three or five sandbags. Well, of course, if you're protecting your entire home, it's going to be a lot more than that. Yeah. Can you explain to me how sandbags work? Like, I know this is a sure. really so, stupid question for a meteorologist to ask, but what you're you're trying to protect yourself from flooding. Yeah, explain that. Sure. Um, so sandbags are trying to keep water out of your home. It's but literally building a wall around your home. Okay. Um, so uh, if you can get enough sandbags, um, you can protect your your doors, um, uh, any big equipment like a potential grill, something like that. Um, but the main thought process there is to keep water out of your home. So it's kind of like these people that, you know, I've I've heard of people that like spray down their houses and the area around it when there's a wildfire coming through or something like that, or sure. put, put their stuff in the exactly. pool. That was the new one that I just recently saw. What a brilliant idea! Exactly. Huh? <laughs> yeah, um, um, that's that's pretty well known here in Florida. Um, anytime there's some sort of big storm, you'll see a lot of patio furniture going into pools. Oh wow! So that's been going on for a little yeah. bit. That's interesting. I yeah, never knew that because it. it it won't, the patio furniture a lot of times is usually PVC pipe or wicker or something like that. Obviously, you can't throw the wicker in the pool, but the PVC pipe um, you can throw in the pool and it'll be just fine. Um, but that PVC pipe otherwise would just blow away with a big hurricane. Okay, so we covered we covered storm surge, we covered inland flooding. Uh, what about uh, wind? Because I would imagine that's another thing that's very obviously yeah. very destructive. The, the number one most the number one most vulnerable part of your house is going to be your garage door. Um, if I hear about intrusions of wind into a house, it's almost always going to be into a garage. Um, it's pretty much a giant kite just waiting to be opened. That garage door comes down and you've got wind coming in straight into your garage. Uh, and eventually it's going to make its way somewhere. That wind can't just evaporate once it gets in there. So it's going to create a, uh, uh, an upward force, and eventually that roof on that part of the garage is going to be gone if there's strong enough winds. So what can you do to prepare for that? A couple of things. Um, you can go to your local department store, and they have reinforcement kits for the inside. Um, the other thing you can do is park your car, uh, the biggest car you've got, um, and park it right up against the garage door. Um, and I'm not talking a couple of inches away. T- park it right up, bump up. Put some give it a uh, love tag. Paint scratches, yeah, <laughs> um, and put it right up on there, um, and that will make it a little bit more sturdy as well. Um, but you've got to reinforce it from both sides. Um, so if you've got heavy items that were in the garage already, just pump, put those right up in front of the garage door as well, so that doesn't become uh, a parachute, so to speak. So that's basically the number one. See, and this is the stuff that I never hear when you're just you know, watching whatever. You just hear all the same sure. stuff. Know your evacuation route uh, and board, you know. Well, do, oh, this is a this is a good one that I wanted to ask you too. Um, I don't know if this if you still see video of this now, but back in the day, I remember in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s, every time there was a hurricane coming, you'd always get, and actually, yeah, I think it, it still goes on now, but I always just see these people that are boarding up their windows. But I've also heard that that doesn't sure. really do anything. What What's the, what's, what's okay. the case with that? I'm going to, I'm going to kind of duck your question here a minute okay. and go on uh, go on about tape, taping windows. Okay. Um, so a, a lot of times you'll see in hurricanes, even today, for whatever reason, you'll still see people taping their windows uh, because it's cheap. Um, right. Unfortunately, it doesn't do a whole lot. Explain taping windows. That, Who's, like how, sure. What kind of tape? 
So I, I've seen all kinds of tape, to be honest. Um, I I grew up in St. Pete, uh, and I've been through a couple of storms and hurricanes here. Um, and uh, the idea is that you tape the window and it'll stay in place. Um, and usually it ends up being duct tape, but again, I've seen all so- sorts of tape. Uh, it masking doesn't tape. really do a whole lot. All it, uh, I've seen masking tape. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> um, and basically, again, the idea is that it keeps the window in place. It doesn't do that. In fact, all it really does is uh, turn that glass wad into a giant ball of glass that will fly through your house. Wow. Um, because uh, it keeps the window together, sure, but not in the windowsill or the window frame. So... Um, the verdict on that is just straight up, that's a hoax, just don't do it. Yes, just don't do it. All you're doing is wasting your time. What about plywood? Plywood is a much better idea. Uh, you'll have. I would recommend to anyone listening, go into your local department store, um, and especially in hurricane evacuation zones, a lot of uh, department stores, whether it be Home Depot or Lowe's, will actually run classes on how to put plywood or storm sh- uh, shutters up in your house. And this, unfortunately, isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. It's, you're going to have to go in and take pictures, take measurements of your windows. And a lot of times they can cut the plywood for you, but you've got to decide what is the best plan for you. For a lot of places, uh, homes in Florida are made out of stone. So it's a little harder to get that plywood in. Might, storm shelter uh, shutters may be a better idea, whether it be aluminum or some stronger metal. Um, yeah, aluminum is nice and you've strong. You've got to know what your light. house is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the idea there is to keep uh, other pieces of plywood, trees, um, other objects um, out of your house. Uh, instead of getting that glass wad flying through your house, uh, that plywood's going to keep everything out of your house in most cases. Very nice. Um, another another couple. The, of the other thing I do want to mention, yeah. real quick, is in the last couple of years they've. There are now homes that don't even need the plywood or the storm shelter shutters. Um, windows are now good enough, the glass is good enough and reinforced enough that uh, they're supposed to be able to withstand um, 150 mile an hour winds and all of the debris that comes with that. They can withstand so that's another a, option. A piece, those... of, a piece of wood flying at 150 miles an hour yes. that would normally yeah. penetrate. A lot of those. Yes. Yep. A lot of those are double ply so to speak where the plywood say the two by four go flying into a window and crack that first one but won't get through the second one uh second ply there well i tell um, you what that and, might not even be a terrible idea for people that live in tornado country i wonder if anybody's yes. done that huh and the extra benefit of those kind of windows they're a little bit more expensive but the benefit there is they're also a lot more energy efficient so you'll actually save money in the long run in terms of uh, heating and cooling. Dude, I just went through this at my house. Um, the house that we bought, it, it, it was kind of redone and everything. There was a lot of really great stuff in it, but one of the things that had been neglected was the windows. Oh, my goodness, dude. In the winter, you put your hands up to the window, and it's just like AC blowing in, you know? I mean, it's just it, yep. it was so bad with these old windows, and I just had a guy come in to price it, and it was like eight or ten grand or something. But but the yeah, ones it, that I was looking at, man, oh, they looked so nice because you can just tell that it, it was going to be super energy efficient, you know, the whole yep. uh, modern stuff. Uh, I think we've probably got like 80s windows in there right now. But I put up all sure. that. I call it the saran wrap stuff. I don't even know what it's technically called. You know, just that, <laughs> just that stuff. And you take like a whole day uh, measuring them out and cutting them up. And I still actually have a couple on that I got to rip off in the basement. <laughs> 
But anyway, sure. go on. <laughs> but yeah, th those are your three options in terms of wind. Um, uh, well, I guess the first one wasn't an option. It shouldn't be an option being the taping, but um, plywood, <laughs> uh, storm shutters, and uh, those energy efficient windows would be the go-to. But you should be checking uh, your roof every couple of years as well just to make sure that there's been no other storms that have damaged those. Uh, and a lot of times, especially in Florida and along the Gulf Coast, uh, most of the daytime summer thunderstorms are stronger than most hurricanes will ever be. Uh, so those will do routine damage over time. So you'll want to right. keep checking on those uh, because that's once the shingles start going, there's an extra weakness into your roof that you should be checking on every couple of years. That, that's a great idea. Is there anything else that we didn't cover as far? Because I got a lot of really great, unique tips from this. The other thing I wanted to talk about is the actual, in the depths of the hurricane, what do you do? Yeah, let's talk um, about that. And this is, I know you being a new dad uh, will be dealing with this <laughs> at some point in your life. Probably. Um, keeping keeping your kids entertained while they are stuck inside without electricity, without power, without phones. <laughs> Um, what do you there's, do? There's a lot. There's a lot going on now. Um, the the first thing is uh, getting hand crank uh, sources of electricity. There's a lot of them at department stores now, where you can get hand crank radios, hand crank toys. Um, I've even seen in recent years hand crank uh, ten inch TVs that'll pick up the digital signal. Oh wow! Um, I, I've never heard so, of this before. Hand crank. Explain this yeah. to me. So it's like a, you're like a you so use your hand kind of like a hamster on a wheel, and it just makes electricity. Sort of. Yeah. So usually uh, you get like a little platform. So on the back of a TV, for instance, there'll be a little crank, and you crank it for a couple of minutes, and you get half an hour worth of uh, power. That's what I was gonna ask. How how much power do you get for like the ratio uh, between cranking and power? <laughs> They're, they're getting a lot better. Actually, I was in Florida for the 2004 hurricane season. And back then we had a, a big one. Uh, yeah. Um, we had a hand crank TV uh, radio combo kind of thing. And it used to, you'd crank it for a little while and then it'd go black, black after a while. And you kind of got mad at it because you had to keep cranking it. Wow. Uh, but they're getting a lot more efficient nowadays where a couple of cranks get you 10 minutes of power. And I mean, these, this technology is coming for uh, lights, lanterns. Um, I've seen water filters on the market now that you can filter water with a hand crank. What are you? Th that's crazy, dude. I've never heard of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> so I would actually, if if you're interested in, in this stuff, I would go into that department store, and I they a lot of times they have uh, this hand crank section. You can walk into with hurricane technology. Do they have hand? Um, do they have to, hand crank? Do they have hand crank stuff that you can just power your whole house on, like house hand cranks? You know, um, <laughs> could save a little money. I maybe? wish we're, we're not we're not quite there yet. <laughs> um, we're still gonna still have to rely on the outside generator. It's about for that five years out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's so cool though. I just want to walk but, into a store and be like, give me all, show me all of your hand crank stuff. I want to pick and yeah. choose. Pretty cool. The other tip that I. I learned a number of years back is to, if especially if you've got uh, kids under the age of about 10 years old that are going to be stuck inside for a day or two, um, buy a toy that may be a couple of years ahead of them. So say you've got a five-year-old, buy a seven or eight-year-old toy um, and put it in your closet somewhere. Um, don't let them know that you bought it. Um, the hurricane comes along, they get bored with all their other toys. 
all of a sudden you've got this new toy in your closet they've never seen and they're going to have a ball with it good idea um, this will it'll keep them uh keep them in- entertained for a little bit uh longer with this new toy okay so now that we have the important stuff out of the way keeping ourselves entertained while the hurricane's going on are there any safety things that we should be doing while the hurricane's going on obviously stay inside <laughs> um uh, yeah is after this, the fact is it like a tornado are you going to the middle are you, are you trying to get to the center of the center of the um I'm sorry, lowest level center of the uh, structure? Yes. Uh, the, the hurricane has a little bit of a caveat with that. Um, if it's just wind, if you're inland, then yes, you should be in your lowest level uh, interior room um, as much as you can. I see where you're going uh, with Just this. in case yeah. wind <laughs> breaks with that. But if you've got water that is an imminent threat, say heavy rainfall, flooding, or storm surge, you need to be prepared to uh, move up up a floor. Um, and theoretically, if you're in that sort of danger, you shouldn't be in that house anyway. You right. should have evacuated. Yeah, but this um, is a good idea to talk about. Like, say, you know, say you did not heed the warnings and you didn't evacuate, or you sure. were not in an evacuation zone, but you still have a hurricane that's going over. Like, what what are the things that you need to do to stay safe? Uh, find that safe room first of all. Um, in most cases, the hurricane will be in and out in twelve hours. Um, yeah, because the worst of it is the direct eye wall. People don't sure. people don't understand this. Like, there's a humongous difference between the 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 sure. actual eye wall hitting you and even sure. just being like 30, 40 miles outside of it. You know, sure, it's a very fast thing that happens. You ever been in the eye of a hurricane before? I have not. I have. I have as a weather geek, unfortunately. I can't. I'm shocked that you haven't. I thought you uh, have you done some hurricane chasing. I have, but I it, most of them have been low, lower end systems. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I was in the high of uh, I was in the eye of Hurricane Bob in 1991 in Rhode Island. Okay. Yeah, I remember it. It was pretty cool. Um, we filled up our whole. I was I was young. I was like five or six, and I just remember. I specifically remember my parents filling up the bathtub. With water. Oh, there's a there's a good little prep thing that kind of ties in with what we're yep. talking about. Do people still do that? Is that a good idea? Yes. Um, we still tell people to fill up their tub. Uh, you should have at least one gallon per person uh, for at least three days. Although I usually say, especially now that we're talking with uh, Harvey now in our minds, um, that was a longer lasting hurricane, um, having more than one gallon per person uh, for each day. Uh, but yeah, the bathroom is a big help. Um, but also across Florida, a lot of people have swimming pools, um, and that's going to be a huge help. Obviously, you can't drink that water, um, but you can bathe in it, that sort of thing. You can bathe in pool water, huh? It, if it's chlorinated enough, you can. Oh, I didn't know that. It'll <laughs> it'll it'll keep you uh, cleaner than it would otherwise in the what'll probably it be after a hurricane. It'd be ninety degrees and a hundred percent humidity. Uh, that's a good point. Um, so uh, and that's the other thing, going past a storm, um, there are probably actually more dangers after a hurricane, immediately after a hurricane, uh, than actually during the hurricane in most cases. Um, so everyone's going to be having uh, cabin fever during the hurricane. Everyone's going to want to run outside. Um, the first thing uh, as a parent uh, or guardian you're going to want to look, look for is down power lines. Um, very dangerous stuff because they're 
un- undoubtedly going to be some down power lines. Down power. The other thing is going to be. The other thing is going to be the polluted water. Uh, A lot of times, whether it be gas, um, uh, any sort of pollutants will run off into the water. And then you've got animals in the water, too, especially across the southeast. Um, In Texas, you can have crocodiles, you can have snakes in the water. So keep the kids out of the water. uh, Keep them from puddle jumping, so to speak, uh, until you know that those waters are safe. Did you say crocodiles? Are there crocodiles in Texas? Uh, not in Texas, but in Florida. Alligators There's, especially. I, but wait, yeah, there, there are a few crocodiles. I didn't know that there were crocodiles in Florida. I thought those were... Yeah, uh, I believe I believe there's one species in de- deep south Florida now. Very cool. But there are definitely alligators all over the southeast. Yeah, alligators are bigger, aren't they? Uh, I'm, I'm no animal expert oh, on that one. Oh, <laughs> we finally stumped you, Bellis. We finally stumped <laughs> yep. you. All right. Anything else for hurricane prep? Those are some really, really uniquely great tips. Um, let's just let's just review these one more time. All right. So for storm surge, we are number one following our evacuation zones. No, you have to know your evacuation zones, and I actually didn't know this, but you know, you were telling me that they put them on your utility bills and stuff, so you know. Yes. Right? So just check that. Yeah, I know at least everywhere in Florida they are on your utility bills, and I believe some other states are following suit now. Okay, so number one, know your evacuation zone. Number two, find a friend that has a house that's a little bit higher in elevation in case of storm surge flooding, basically the, the uh, ocean coming up onto the land. Um, number three, know a person that lives way inland, and then number four would be you know, the vacation plan, have some kind of backup sure. vacation plan to just get away from everything. Uh, for wind, do not tape your windows. It doesn't do anything. It's completely pointless. It's a huge hoax. And even if your grandparents did it or your parents told you that it's a good idea and it works, it's it doesn't. It's just pointless. So that's one big right. thing to take away. Um, you can actually get lessons in some of these spots at the local department stores on how to plywood or board up your your windows properly. Another thing you can do is get some of these new modernized windows that are, you know, built to withstand 150 mile per hour wind or 150 mile an hour piece of debris coming at it without breaking, which is uh, totally impressive. And then um, most importantly, if you do get stuck in a hurricane, make sure you have some entertainment for your kids. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Um, I I remember the couple times when we lost power when I was a kid. We we used to use the old oil lantern. Remember those guys? Sure. Yep. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen one of those, but I, I bet you anything if I smelled it, I would just recognize it from oh, yeah. <laughs> just memories yeah. like that. I mean, it might not be a bad day, bad thing to have even nowadays, you know? I wonder how many people still have oil lanterns. I know it sounds old school, but yep. what do you do? Yep. You know, your phone flashlight's only going to work for so long if you don't have electricity, right? <laughs> yep. Um. All right, this has been good. Is there anything else that we didn't hit? Uh... The other thing I'll say is to kind of close things out here is that even though there's no hurricane on the horizon, it's a lot easier now and honestly cheaper to prepare now than it would be in the days before a hurricane. Yes. Um, even though it may be illegal uh, to price gouge, um, it it still happens. Um, and I think most of us along the coast know that prices go up on water and gas and all that sort of thing um, right before a hurricane. So it's yep. better to prepare now than it would be uh, right before a hurricane. There you go. I love it. Great stuff. Jonathan, I appreciate it. Hey, if you like the podcast, make sure to give it five stars and subscribe and all that good stuff. And we'll be doing plenty more podcasts with you down the road here, Bellis. Maybe even uh, 
maybe even soon. I mean, it is hurricane season. This is your specialty. Sure. So thanks for taking a few minutes. I know you're on vacation right now. Where are you? Down in St. Petersburg? I'm in St. Petersburg. Nice. Beautiful. All right. Well, enjoy the vacation. I'll be enjoying working Thank the you. rest of the week, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good one, guys.